All right, I will say good morning. Let's begin. We begin by thanking our sponsors to thank our Talmud Torah sponsors for the month of Teves, Dovi and Nina Elman for dedicating all the Shi'urim and Jerashos this month in honor of their daughter Ayelet becoming Ibas Mitzvah. May she continue, Merit Hashem, to grow and to flourish into an incredible Bas Yisrael. We thank Zevi and Shoshi Daniel for dedicating today's shir, Le'ili Nishmas Zevi's father, Yitzchak Yisrael ben Rafal Noach Yosef. We hope that in the merit of our Tama Torah, the Neshama will have an aliyah and the family a Nechama. We also thank Greg and Rachel Levitan for dedicating the shir this morning, and his chosav Rafu Shleim for Binyamin ben Etel, and for Yitzchak Meir ben Rezel. We hope that in the merit of our Tama Torah, Kol Chola Yisrael will have a complete and enduring refuah. I will say we always thank all of our mishpachos and individuals for dedicating the daf each and every day. Thank you for your sponsorship and for your support. So with that, let us begin. So we have a beautiful daf out of us today. Today's daf is Lamid Aleph 31, and we are picking up Emir Tzashem at the Mishnah on the... Ba- I'm sorry, actually not at the Mishnah, a little bit before the Mishnah. Amar Rava, Amar Rava. So we'll say, remember again... Yesterday, we got into the really very interesting discussion regarding Heksha uh, Kalim, regarding cashing utensils for Pesach, and ultimately, again, how you cash utensils. We ended off the, the daf yesterday with the fascinating discussion of what we call Kleikunya, glazed vessels. And when you have a glazed vessel, what is the status of that particular vessel? Right? Again, does it essentially have the status of the glaze or does it have the status of the underlying kli? So again, I mentioned that that's an interesting discussion halach in general. We're going to pick up now with Amar Rava. So the, it's, we'll say it's uh, 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, about 12 lines up from the bottom. So Amar Rava, it was another very interesting case. Amar Rava bar Abba, Amar Rakhia bar Ashi, Amar Shmuel. Kolakilim shinishtam shubayin chameitz b'tsonim, mishtam ishbohen matzah. We'll say an interesting halacha. Any utensil which was only used cold, or was only used, I should say, with cold chametz, ultimately, again, can be used with matzah. So I'll say, give you a simple example. If, let's say, a person has a bread basket, a bread basket, let's say Shabbos, you go ahead and for your challah, you put your challah in a basket and you put that basket on the table. That basket is used for nothing other than holding challah. It's used for it every Shabbos, every Yom Tiv, And when you clean it out, you don't run it through the dishwasher. You just simply go ahead and brush it out. Shalom al Yisrael. Technically speaking, I know it sounds strange, but you could use that on your table at the Seder to go ahead and hold your Shemur Matzah. Again, not saying it's advisable, not saying it's a good idea, but the Rav is just saying that halacha lemaisa, technically speaking, you could do it. Now, again, I'm going to say the truth is, once you learn the sugya, you realize it's not really a chiddish, right? It's not, um, yeah, I just want to make sure that, okay, good, right? It, it's not, it's not, really, it's not really a chiddish. Why isn't it a chiddish? Well, say, because remember again, as we saw in yesterday's daf, the concept by Heksher Kalim is kibolo kach polto. The way something ultimately again is absorbed is the way ultimately again it comes out. So therefore, halacha lemaisa, 
when the Gemara says over here, so if you're, you're only using something through cold, right? You've never used a particular utensil with the medium of heat. So therefore, because there's been no heat that's been used, it's never absorbed anything. Because it's never absorbed, therefore, there's no real concern about anything ultimately being emitted. So technically speaking, if you use the utensil and you only used it, you only used it with cold throughout the year, then ultimately, again, one is permitted to use it with matzah. Now, I'll say, I just will point out, this does come up because sometimes, again, people don't realize Pesach doesn't require me to go ahead and replace everything. You know, a person has a fruit bowl, uh, a bowl that they use to hold fruit. Obviously, the same fruit bowl you use during the year is the same fruit bowl you could use on Pesach, now, again, if a person is not sure, well, maybe I didn't use it for fruit, maybe I used it for this, maybe it's okay. But again, technically speaking, any utensil you know that was only used for cold chametz over the course of the year ultimately can be used for matzah as well, with an exception. This is actually very interesting. Chutzmin base sar, they will say, except for a utensil, which was used ultimately, again, for yeast, for yeast, now, or, or, or sour could also mean sourdough. Sourdough is a leavening agent. If you take a look at Rashi, Rashi says, base sour. This is a utensil that a woman goes ahead and keeps sour in it. This is actually very interesting. Unless, of course, it's utensil that you used for yeast or sourdough. Now, what's the chap with yeast or sourdough? So the issue over here, says Rashi, is that sometimes a woman could leave the yeast or the sourdough in the utensil overnight. So I will say, the interesting thing about things that reside in a utensil overnight is that then there could be some level of absorption of flavor. Now, interestingly enough, generally, even in terms of things sitting in a utensil overnight, we generally assume that there has to be some type of liquid medium in there. There was this, this the concept, I don't want to get too much into the, all of this today, because although it's fascinating, you could take us, uh, we could spend the whole, the whole day on these couple of lines. There's a concept of kavosh kamavushal, which is when something sits in a liquid for a prolonged period of time, there is a quasi-bishal, a quasi-cooking effect, which occurs. But with the, without getting into how the Gemara is saying over here, is that halacha lamaisa, if a person were to go ahead and leave the sourdough in the in the in the bowl, right, overnight, so that could create a quasi-absorption situation. So therefore, Allah any utensil used for sourdough for yeast, that even if it was quote unquote only used for cold, that should not be used on Pesach itself. Of course, if you kasher it, you could use it. The Gemara is talking about over here without kashering. Uh, the Gemara says. Because we'll say, since ultimately, again, literally, the chimutz, the leavening process of yeast or of sourdough is hard, which means it's intense, therefore that utensil shouldn't be used. So we'll say, and a utensil, it's very interesting. Charoses over here, the URS is not talking about charoses like we use at the Seder, because it's saying, Base charoses and a utensil used for charoses during the year, ultimately, again, it's treated the same way as the utensil you used for yeast or sourdough, and therefore should not be used for for, for matzah and Pesach. So we'll say here, in this context, that's very interesting, charoses, charoses is talking about 
a dip that they used to use. So a few of you utensil, few of you utensil that you would use to go ahead and hold your dips. Now we'll say their dips, why do they call it base haroses? Because again, their dips often had vinegar and other sharp types of liquids. So remember, when you're talking about a sharp type of liquid and a dip that would sit in a utensil, often it would sit in a utensil for a prolonged period of time. And therefore, there's some level of absorption which could occur. Shechimutso kasha. Because the chimots, the leavening of these objects or of these items is intense. Amar Rav says, Hai agni demechuza hoil vitadiri lamelish pu chamira umashubu chamira so Rava said, these Agni, and I will say Agni is literally like a trough, but it probably just means like a big bowl, a very large open bowl. These large open bowls or these large open troughs of Mechuzah, since people often need chametz, and Chamiri doesn't just mean chametz, but they need chametz with sourdough, with yeast in it, because there is an intense chimutz in there. Therefore, Halacha Lamaiset has the status of a utensil used with yeast or sourdough, and therefore, ultimately, it should not be used on Pesach, to which the Gemara says, Pshita, that's obvious. Mao what would you have thought? Kivan de Revicha, Shalat Bua Viravala Bali. I would have thought that because these large bowls, these large troughs, there's an incredible amount of air which gets in. Therefore, again, the absorption is not the same. Kamashmalon, no, that is not the case. Therefore, I will say they can't be used on Pesach either. So, what comes out from this particular sugar, I will say something very interesting, which is number one, halacha and this is halacha any utensil which is only used with cold chametz throughout the year. Now, I will say, just to be clear, being used for cold chametz means the actual use of the utensils is, is used with cold chametz, and it's also not washed with other utensils with hot water that are chametz, or I should say differently, that was wrong in English. They're not washed with other chametz utensils using hot water. So there's mamish no absorptions here. So any utensil which is only used cold, never used with hot water, used with chametz throughout the year, could, could just be cleaned and ultimately gone ahead and used and used on and used on Pesach. I will say, and this comes up all of the time with different, very often Shabbos and Yom Tiv utensils, which you can go ahead and technically use on Pesach. However, the exception to that rule says the Gemara is that ultimately, again, if it's used with something that's chimutso kasha, if it's used with something that has a that, that is what we'll call an intense leavening or leavened leavened item, whether it's sourdough, whether it's yeast and it sits in that utensil for a prolonged period of time, even if it was used by cold, in, or just only for cold, halacha lamaisa should not be used on Pesach. Good. But so now we come to a very interesting sugya. Says the Mishnah, Nochri shehilva es Yisrael, Nochri shehilva es Yisrael al chemso. Suppose listen to this case. A non-Jew, a nochri, non-Jew, lent a Jew money. Lent a Jew money. The Jew secured the debt with Chametz. Now, what exactly happened over here? Did the Jew give over the Chametz to the non-Jew? That, that we'll discuss in the Gemara. But for now, the facts are as follows. A non-Jew lent the Jew money, and the Jew went ahead and pledged the Chametz, or secured the debt with Chametz. Let's say the debt now doesn't come due until after Pesach. So we'll say, here's the Shaila now. The Shaila is, 
the Jew, the Jew essentially mortgaged or put a lien against his chametz. Now the loan is due after Pesach. So now in this particular situation, let's say the Jew wasn't able to pay back the debt. So what is the halacha concerning the chametz? So the Gemara says, so, so again, let me just illustrate this for just a moment. A Jew, right, the Nachri lends the Jew money on Rosh Chodesh Nisan. Okay, let's say it's a thousand dollars, a thousand dollar loan. The Jew happens to have a wonderful thousand dollar bottle of scotch. Now the truth is, scotch is not necessarily the best example because that might be Chomitz Nuksha, but for illustration purposes, it's good enough. So what happens, the Jew says, here, I'm pledging this, this, uh, this, there's a lien against this bottle of scotch. If I can't go ahead and pay you back, then after, then ultimately again, you take the bottle. Nachri says, no problem. Loan comes due after Pesach. After Pesach, now what happens? Jew defaults. He can't pay. So both say, so the Shaila is what? The Shaila is, can he now pay back the debt with the pledged item, the bottle of scotch? So the Gemara says, yes. Muterbano. Ultimately, again, it works. And ultimately, again, the Jew could get benefit from the bottle of scotch that was in this world and it appears in his possession over Pesach. We'll see exactly how this works. So, so we'll say what happens if a Jew lends, lends a guy money. And again, it's just the reverse case. In this case over here, the Nachri pledged chametz. In the event of default, in the event of default, you'll go, you'll see why, by the way, I'm purposely staying away from the word collateral. Um, cause we're going to come to that in the Gemara in just a moment. So these, so Nachri, I'm sorry, so a, a Jew lends a non-Jew money. The Nachri goes ahead and identifies chametz, which could serve as repayment for the debt in the event of default. The debt comes due after Pesach. The Nachri defaults. The Jew is not permitted to get benefit from that particular piece of chametz, which was pledged as payment for the debt. Again, we'll define exactly what's going on over here in the Gemara. Says the Gemara, Itmar. Shabbos say, let's talk a little bit about generally how creditors work. This is quite fascinating. Itmar, Balchov. When it comes to a creditor, so I will say, let's say, let's say a creditor goes ahead and look at Rashi for just a moment. Balchov, Hamalvis Chaveir of Shibilon Chasov, Shimlo Efra Lacha Ad Yom Ploni Gava Gava Gaba Minichasai, the Gizma of Loparbos. It's a defined situation, right? So again, in, in, in general, you have a, you have a, a, a lender who lent money to a borrower. Borrower says, if I can't pay back my debt by so-and-so date, you can collect your payment from this piece of property or this item. It doesn't really make a difference. So both say, so the Shaila is, what is the relationship of the creditor, of the lender, to what we'll call the collateralized piece of property before the debt becomes due? So watch this. So the Gimar says, Abai says, that if we'll call it Ruven lends Shimon money, you could just deal with Jews right now. Ruven lends Shimon money. Shimon goes ahead and identifies a piece of property to serve as collateral. I'm going to use the word collateral, but I'm not using it in a halachic sense. You'll see why I say that in just a bit. So Ruven, so, so Shimon says, here's the collateral. Shimon defaults. Shimon defaults, right? When debt comes due, Shimon defaults. We'll say, when is Ruven the lender considered to be the owner of that collateral as of? As of when does he own it? So Abaye says, it turns out that retroactively, he was the owner of the collateral from the time the debt was made. The Rava Amar Mikara Rava says, no, he's only considered to be the owner of the collateral now from the moment of default, from the moment of non-payment going forward. 
going forward. So we'll say, ultimately, again, we'll see what the nafkamina is over here. The Gemara says, watch this. So the Gemara says, sorry. So we'll say, everyone would agree in the following case. Let's say after the loan was made, the borrower went ahead and and sanctified. He was makdish, the collateralized item. Or he went ahead and he sold the collateralized item. Everyone agrees that the lender has the right to go ahead and go to the base Hamikdash and redeem the collateral or go ahead and retrieve it from the purchasers. This nan, Mosif Odinro Podas Hanachasim Ailu. Because we're not going to get into this case, but this is talking about a situation where Halacha a person, a borrower, went ahead and was Makdish. He sanctified or consecrated the collateralized property, and there's a price differential. We don't have to get into the case right now. Point over here is if the borrower went ahead and was Makdish, the collateralized piece of property, the lender has the right to go back and retrieve it from the base Hamikdash. Keep ligi. So where does their machlokis come up? So say. So again, but before we go on, so we have a fundamental machlokis over here about the relationship between the lender and the collateral before the debt has come due. So we'll say, how do we view that relationship? Do we so so? Or I should say, let me say it a little bit differently. Once the lender, once the borrower, excuse me, defaults on the debt, and therefore the lender is going to take payment in the form of collateral. So how do we view the duration of the relationship between the lender and the collateral? Abaye says, we view the lender as if he has owned the collateral already from the time that the debt was made. Once the borrower defaults, it turns out that the lender really owned the collateral from the beginning of the debt, from the moment that the money was lent, Rava says, no, that's not how it works. The lender only owns the collateral when? From the time of default and on. So the Gemara says, keep the Gisa, where does the Machlokes come up? How do you see this? How do you see the Nafkamini here? So watch this. So keep the the Zabin Malva, the Kaddish Malva. So we'll see, interestingly enough, the Machlokes will come up in the following situation. Where what happens if Halokha Lamaisa before the default, before the default, the lender went ahead and sold the collateral. Or the lender went ahead and it was Makdish the collateral. So we'll say, what happens in a situation? So imagine the following situation. Halacha Lamaisa, Halacha Lamaisa, on Rosh Chodesh Teves, so what happens? I, I, I lend Reuven $1,000. Reuven gives me a piece of collateral. Then what happens? What happens? Halacha Lamaisa, the, 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 the debt is not due until we call it Asara Beteves. On the 5th of Teves, I decide, I, the lender, decide to go ahead and sell the collateral or be Maktish the collateral. Then I will say, now what happens? Now it turns out on the 10th of Teves, Ruvain defaults. He can't pay me back. So it turns out that the collateral is mine. So I'll say, so the Shail is, what's the status of my Hektish? Now remember, I was Maktish or I sold it on the 5th of Teves. Once Ruben defaults on Asara Bateves, retroactively it turns out 
that the item was really mine from the beginning of the debt, and therefore again, I was totally justified in selling it or being maktishit. The Rava Amar Mikano the Habal Gove. Rava says, no, that's not the way that relationship to collateralized property works. It only becomes yours from the moment of default. Therefore, what? The Rava, the Mikano the Habal Gove. It's only from the moment of default and on that the item becomes yours. Because again, what's the proof? The proof is that Allah Chalamaisef Ruving were to show up with money on the 10th of Tebes. So we'll say, remember, imagine this for just a moment. Let's say Ruving shows up on the 10th of Tebes with money in his hand. And he says, I'm here to pay back my debt. And I say, you know what? Thank you so much. But I really happen to like the collateral. I prefer to take the collateral. Do I have a right to do that? And the answer, of course, is no. I don't have the right to do that. So Ravel will say the fact that Ruven could go ahead and pay me with money and remove any rights that I have to the collateral indicates that I have really have no rights in the collateral. Therefore, again, when I sold it or I was makdishit on the 5th of Tevez, that was not really within my legal rights to do so. So, so therefore, this is the machlokes Abaye and Rava. What is the relationship between a creditor and collateral before default? Before default. So Abaye says, essentially, or it's just, it's really, it's really almost, and it's at the, at the time of default. So I shouldn't say before default. It's what's the relationship between the creditor and the collateral, the lender and the collateral at the time of default. Abaye says, once the borrower defaults, retroactively clarified that I actually have owned the collateral since the time the loan was made. Rava says, no. Only time you own it is now from the moment of default and on. What's the nafka meaning? What's the practical difference? There's a very significant practical difference. If I, the lender, was makdish consecrated, or for that matter, again, sold the collateral sometime between the time that the debt was made and the event and the date of the default. So was that sale or was that hectish valid or not? Abaye will say, once the default occurs, retroactively it's clarified that it was mine from the beginning. Therefore, the sale, the hectish was good. Rava said, no, it's only yours from the moment of default and on. And therefore, when you consecrated it there, when you sold it, you sold, you consecrated something that was not legally yours. Did Rava actually say this? this interesting case. Ruven sold a field to Shimon with Achrayis. Now we'll say Achrayis literally means a guarantee. A guarantee, which means like this. Ruven sold the field to Shimon and Ruven said to Shimon, I'm selling you this field with a guarantee that if for some reason this field is seized by any of my creditors, I agree to make you whole. I agree to make you all. If there are any claims that come out against this field and someone, and someone takes this field to you in satisfaction of any of my debts, I agree to make you whole. That's what it's called, Achrayis. Vizakfan alav b'milva. They're both saying, the way this, watch this, this is interesting, it's an interesting transaction. So Ruven, let's call it, Ruven sold the field to Shimon for $50,000. So what happens? And Ruven sells it to him with a guarantee. If for some reason this field is repossessed from you by any of my, Ruven's creditors, I agree to make you whole. Shimon doesn't pay the $50,000. Rather, again, the $50,000 is structured as a debt. Okay, so now Shimon has the field with a guarantee and he owes Ruvain $50,000. Okay, to make things a bit more complicated, 
Umes Ruven. Bach the Nemes Ruven dies. Ruven dies. I was saying that when Ruven dies, the creditors come out of the come out of the woodwork. So I say so. What happens? Ruven's creditors now come, and they seize the field from Shimon in satisfaction of their debt. Okay. And Shimon comes along. Shimon wants to hold on to the field. So what does he do? Shimon pays off Ruven's creditors with money. So I say now. Watch this. So I say, so now what could happen? Now remember again, now remember again, technically speaking, technically speaking, the now now remember, Ruven's kids, Ruven's kids, Ruven's heirs now come to Shimon. They say, listen, you went ahead and you you owed our father fifty thousand dollars, so we're here to collect our debt from our father that was due to our father. Now Reuven says, "No, no, no! I don't owe it to your father anymore because I went ahead and I paid off his other creditors." To which the sumim, to which the orphans, to the inheritors, could say to could say to Shimon, "Listen, our father left movable property to you." Which Rabbi said, "Now, what's the movable property? The movable property is the loan." Right? Our father, you have a loan that's due to our father. Now, interestingly enough, Rabbi say that movable property that belongs to orphans is not, is not subject to other debts, which is another way of the Yusomim saying to Shimon, Shimon, I don't know why you paid that money ultimately to our father's creditors. The money you owe to our father was not touchable by any other creditors. As such, you still owe us the $50,000 that you owed our father, which represented the purchase price of the field. First and second wide line of if Rava says, if Shimon is a smart guy, here's what he'll do. Say to them, you know what, I'm sorry, I have no more money, but you know what, here, take the field, take the field back, right? The field that I bought from your father, take it back in satisfaction of the debt. So I owed your father $50,000, that debt, technically speaking, was not really touchable by any kind of creditors. Therefore, again, I paid off your father's creditors. You're saying I shouldn't have. Here's the field back in satisfaction of the debt. Now we're whole. After Shimon gives them the field, what could he do? He could take it right back. Why could he take it right back? Because at the end of the day, he bought it with a guarantee from Ruvain. Rav Nachman, Rav Nachman says, Because if you have Yisomim who collected property, real property, in satisfaction of a debt due to their father, Interestingly enough, real property collected by Yisomim, collected by inheritors, in satisfaction of a debt due to the estate, then becomes subject to collection from other creditors of the estate as well. So this is incredible. So now what could Shimon do? Shimon could go ahead and pay back the outstanding $50,000 debt that he has to Ruven, which was the purchase price for the land. Pay it back by giving the land back to back to the Yisomim, and then he could turn right back around and what? Seize it back from them. Why? Because remember, he purchased the land with a guarantee from Ruvain. So I'll say, this only works if you say that 
A creditor essentially acquires rights to the guarantee retroactively. Because if you say that a creditor's relationship to the, to the collateral or to the guarantee is retroactive, then this makes sense because then essentially Shimon acquired his right to collect the property while Ruvain was still alive. But if you say that a creditor's right to collect from a guarantee is only from this point going forward. Why, why does Reuven have the right to seize the piece of property back? It's as if the sorry, This would be as if the Yisumim themselves sold property. Or they purchased, I should say. Like they purchased property. And if the Yisumim purchased new property, ultimately, again, is new property subject to pre-existing liens? And of course, the answer is no. So the Gemara is suggesting that it appears even Rava holds that there's some level of retroactivity that can be applied ultimately, again, to a creditor and his lien, to which the Gemara says, shiny hasam da amaluhu. It's different over here. Because in this case, what could happen? Shimon could say, ki hechi de mishtabda lei la'avuchun, mishtabdin nami labalchov da'avuchun. So again, Shimon could say the same way that I had a shibud ultimately again to your father. Ultimately, again, there is a shibud to the balchov of your father. They're both saying, the balchov of your father, in this case, that you're referring to is himself. Because what Shimon's saying is, I am like a creditor of your father. How is Shimon like a creditor of Ruvain? Because remember, again, Ruvain sold him the land with a guarantee, which means that if anything happens to the land, Shimon has the right to come back to Ruvain to be made whole. What's an interesting case? How do I know in general? Listen to this interesting case. If A lends B money and B lends C money, so the Gemara says, How do we know that we could extract money from C in order to pay back A? Because the Pazik says, And you shall give to the one whom he is liable. So therefore the Gemara is just suggesting this case, as interesting as it is, doesn't really play into the discussion between Abai and Rava. Therefore, I will say, we are still with the same machlokis Abai and Rava, namely, the nature of the relationship between a creditor and, and we'll call it the collateralized or pledged property, pledged property or pledged item, ultimately, again, at the time of the default of the loan. So Abai says, when default occurs, it is clarified that retroactively the creditor actually owns the collateralized piece of property, or when I say property, I mean property, the collateralized item from the time the debt was made. Rava says, no, from this point forward. So we'll now watch this. So now let's begin to plug this back into the Mishnah. So Tanan, what did we learn in the Mishnah? If a Gentile Nachri lent a Jew money and, he, and, and ultimately the debt was secured with chametz. So after Pesach is over, so we'll say, let's say now the Jew defaults on the loan after Pesach, after Pesach. So what's the halacha? The halacha is that the Jew can satisfy the debt with the chametz that was pledged. So Eli Amrit Mikano Lahabahu Gove. 
and my mother bana birshusa di Israel have a koi. Shabbos say now here's the shaila. So this case makes sense. This makes sense, right? So watch this. So Nochri lends a Jew money. Jew pledged chametz as collateral. As collateral. So what happens now? Say what does the Gemara say? If debt becomes if debt is due after Pesach, after Pesach, Jew defaults. So what's the halacha? The halacha is that the nachri could go in and keep the chametz, could use the chametz as repayment for the debt. Now, both say this only makes sense if what? This only makes sense like abaye, right? If you hold that when the Jew defaults on the debt retroactively, the nachri becomes the owner of the collateralized chametz from the time the debt was made. Then it turns out that Dr. Bosse, retroactively, the chametz was in the possession of the Nachri already over Pesach. Then it makes sense. But if you hold like Rava, that the Nachri only takes ownership over the chametz collateral from when? From the time of default, then it turns out that what? That the chametz was in possession of the Jew over Pesach. If the chametz was in possession of the Jew over Pesach, say that's chametz she'avar lava Pesach. Chamit Shavalava Pesach is Asr Bano, in which case the Jew would not be permitted to go ahead and use it to pay back the debt. To which the Gemara says, No, 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 Hachamayaskinon, what's the case here? Kishir Hino Etzlo. Both say the case over here is actually where the Jew actually deposited the Chamits with the guy. So we'll say, so the case over here is that the, 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 the Gentile is actually in physical possession of the collateral. Look at Rashi Kishir Hino Etzlo, the Beso Shonachri, Nasno, Kasagadait Rashta, the time of Misham Dahabli Torres Mashkon, Ubalchov Kone Mashkon. So we'll say, so interestingly enough, we'll see this on Ahmed Beis a little bit more. Now with the Gemara saying, here's the case. The case is where the actual collateralized Chamits was actually given over to the creditor. So in this case, the Nachri has the Chametz. Well, once the Nachri has the Chametz, Rabbi say now, this is what's called in Halacha, called the Mashkon, that's why, which literally means a collateral. And we are going to see what that means. And therefore, again, perhaps since he has possession of it, therefore, physical possession of it, therefore, Halacha Lamai sits in his domain even over the course of Pesach. So even if you hold like Rava, that a creditor doesn't really take possession or real possession of the collateral until the time of default. And even then, it's not retroactively, it's only going forward since it was in the possession of the Nachri over Pesach. Therefore, it doesn't have the status of Chabit Sha'avar Alava Pesach. So the Muslim Ketanar, also they say this is What's the Machlokes? Yisrael Shavu Lenachri Alchem Tulachar Pesach. If a Yisrael goes ahead and, I'm sorry, I should say it different. Yisrael Shavu Lenachri Alchem. So, so a Yisrael lent a, Yisrael lent a, a Nachri and ultimately again lent him money. Alchem so. And the Nachri secured the debt ultimately again with collateralized Chabits. So the Achra Pesach, and now the, the Nachri defaults after Pesach. Eino over Mishum, Eino over, I'm sorry, Lachar Pesach, Eino over. Ultimately, again, the Jew is not in violation of any type of Chametz. Rabbi Meir, Omer, over. Rabbi Meir says, no, he is in violation. So the Gemara says, Maila Baha'i Kamef. The Gemara says, what are they arguing about? Mars the Marsavar, the Mafreya Hugova, Umarsavar Mekano, the Haba Hugova. So what they say, the Maibi Machokis is like this. When does a creditor take possession ultimately again of the collateral? If you hold that it's Lama Freya retroactive, then it turns out that the Jew owned Chametz over Pesach. But if you hold that it's only Mikana Labar from the moment of default and on, then the Jew only owns the Chametz as of when? Only as of the time of default going forward. Vitizbara, 
Look at the end of that Raisa. Right? If a Gentile lends a Jew money and secures the debt with Chomets, everyone agrees after Pesach, ultimately again, the Jew would not be able to get benefit from the Chomets. But if you're just the opposite, over. The one who said in the first case that you're not over here would say over the man domer hasam over hachein over, and again the one who said over there that you are over would say over here that you're not over. Amadeis el hachamar askinon. What's the case? Kegon sheher hino etzlo. We'll say just as we said before, the case of your halacha lamais is where the actual collateral was deposited with the creditor, and I will say now watch this. The kamifligi b'derab yitzchak, and I will say they're arguing on the principle of yitzchak. What did Rabbi Yitzchak say? Watch this. This is an incredible sogya. It's not really a psachim sogya. As we're going to see, this is a above Metziah sogya. But listen to this. How do we know a Baal Chov is Kona Mashkon? A creditor acquires collateral. So you remember, remember for a while I said I didn't want to use the word collateral because ultimately, again, Mashkon refers to something that is not only pledged, you know, as a form of repayment in the event of default, but mashkon is also something that is actively given over into the possession of the creditor. So Rabbi Yitzchak says as follows, that when you have an item that has been identified as a source of payment in the event of default, and it's being it's given over to the creditor, it becomes the possession of the creditor. So Rabbi Yitzchak says, how do I know this? That a balchov is kone mashkon. I will say, if you look at Rashi, what does this mean, kone mashkon? All the days that the debt is still outstanding, the creditor has acquired the mashkon. When we say that the creditor owns it, it doesn't mean that the creditor could sell it, but what it means is the creditor has full responsibility. So, for example, if something happens to the mashkon, something happens to the to the collateral while while it is in the possession, ultimately again of the creditor, the creditor is responsible for anything and everything that happens to that mashkon. So, Rabbi Yitzchak says, from where do we know that a balchov is kone mashkon? Shnemar ulechot yetzdaka. So, I said this is actually very interesting. This is talking about the Torah it says over here. That if halacha lemaisi, you have an item, you have you have a collateral from a person, and the per, let's say you have right, I lent money to Ruvain, and the only thing that Ruvain has for collateral to give me are his pajamas. So he gives me his pajamas. So what does the Torah tell me? The Torah tells me that halacha lemaisa, I should give him back his pajamas at night, so he could sleep in his pajamas. That's what I should do, even though again it's the collateral, and I have every right to hold on to it. The Torah says, give him back his pajamas, and the Torah says, if you do so. This will be considered to be a charitable act. So the Gemara says, The only reason it's a charitable act is why? Is because technically speaking, the mashkon is mine. So because the mashkon is mine, therefore, the act of giving it back is considered to be a charitable act. From here you see ultimately again that a balchov is kona amashkon. So both say, now watch this. So Tanakama Sabar, so the Tanakama holds, when do we say that a Balchov is Kona Mashkon, that a creditor acquires collateral? Hani Mili, Mi Yisrael, Hudikarina Be'u Lechat Yetzdaka. 
We'll say, when does a creditor acquire mashkon? That's only if it's a Jewish creditor and a Jewish borrower. That's when the creditor acquires the mashkon. Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Meir says, no, Kavachomer, Kavachomer, Yisrami, Yisrael Kani, Yisrami Nechel Koshakim. If a Yisrael could acquire a mashkon from another Jew, so certainly again a Yisrael could acquire a mashkon from a Nochri. But what does everybody agree with? Everyone agrees that a Nochri is not Kona Amashkon from a Yisrael. And therefore, we'll say in this version over here, Halacha if the Nochri were to lend money to the Jew and the Jew were to collateralize the debt with Chametz, that, and the debt is due after Chametz, and then the Jew defaults, sorry, after Pesach, and then the Jew defaults after Pesach, and now pays back the Nachri with the Chametz, that Chametz will actually be Aser Bahanal, because it's considered to be in the possession of the Jew over the course of Pesach. So, both sides. so what we have over here now is still, is, is a couple of things going on over here. So, for, again, we'll, we'll see the Halacha Lamais actually in, in the case of the, of the, of Lent, but what we begin to see is that this case of, of, of lending money with collateralized chametz, and then the default of the debt occurring after Pesach. So we're both saying the shayla now is default is after Pesach. Can the chametz be used to satisfy the debt has a lot to do with the relationship between the creditor and the collateralized objects. So here's what we know. If we're talking about, so, so therefore, just, just let's put everything on the table that we have, and then we'll see what the halacha lamaise is. So we'll say, so when we have machlokis, Abai and Rava, about the nature of the relationship between the creditor and the collateral. Creditor and collateral. Abaye says that when default occurs, it turns out that retroactively creditor owned the collateral from the time the debt was made. Rava says, no, that is not the case. Halacha lemaisa, ultimately, again, you only own the collateral one when from the time of default and on. That's Aleph. Beza, so we see an interesting idea that there's a difference between what we'll call pledged property and collateralized property. In halacha, the word collateral, mashkon, means something that is actively given over to the creditor to hold. And once something is given over to the creditor to hold, everyone agrees that what? That the creditor acquires that. That's Rabbi Yitzchak. That's Rabbi Yitzchak. That ultimately, again, a creditor acquires mashkon. That's base. Then in that, Rabbi said, there's a sub-machlokes. Everyone agrees, of course, that applies between Jews. So right, does that apply ultimately, again, between Jew and non-Jew? Well, everyone seems to agree that when it's a non-Jewish creditor, the non-Jewish creditor does not acquire the mashkon, does not acquire the collateral until actually the default occurs. That's, that's, that's. But if it's a Jewish lender, then there's a machlokes, ultimately, again, if he acquires it from the Gentile creditor or not. Good. We'll piece this all together in just a little bit. So, Tznan, let's go back to a little bit. So, Tznan, Nochri Shel, V'Yisrael HaChemtso, Achara Pesach, Mutr Bano. So, what do we see in the Mishnah? Now, let's try to plug all this back in. So, a Gentile lent money to a Yisrael, right? So, we'll call Nochri lent money to a Yisrael. The, 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 and the Jew, the Jew secures the debt with Chametz. The debt is due after, the, so, so the Jew collateralizes Chametz, the debt is due after Pesach. So what's Talacha? Achra Pesach Motrbana. The Jew then defaults on the debt after Pesach. And so what does the Mishnah say? The Mishnah said, 
that halacha the Jew could use the collateralized chametz to satisfy the debt. So let's analyze this. Nehi nami derhino etzlo. So now we're assuming now that what's the case? The Jew actively deposited the collateralized chametz with the nachri before Pesach. So the nachri was in possession of the chametz itself from before Pesach. So the Gemara says, well, one second, ha amrit nachri mi Yisrael okani. But we just said before that a nachri is not kona amashkon from a Jew. So even if the Jew deposited him with before Pesach, the nachri doesn't acquire it, which then means what? The Jew actually owned the collateralized chametz over the course of Pesach, in which case, again, it should be chametz shavar lava Pesach and should not be usable to satisfy the debt. Wow, 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 wow. So we'll say now, watch this. So look what the Gemara introduces. Let's throw another piece in here. That's the case. The case is where the Yisrael said to the Nachri, in the event that I default on this loan, I hereby identify this piece of this chametz as collateral and you should acquire it me'achshav. You should acquire it as of now. So we'll say, what did he insert? He inserted in here a retroactivity clause, right? Every so say so. He inserted my achshav. So therefore, again, once he inserts in a retroactivity clause in the event of default, I want you to acquire it as of now. Well, both say so. Now watch this. Even if you hold halacha lemaisa that ultimately anachri is not kona the mashkon from a Jew. If a Jew inserts a retroactivity clause, then everyone agrees that that works. So if he says me'achshav, then what that means is retroactively from the time that I default, you become the owner of the chametz. In which case, ultimately, again, when the Jew defaults after Pesach, even though technically speaking that chametz was in the possession of the Jew over Pesach, it turns out retroactively, it's clarified that the chametz actually belonged to the Nachri from the time the debt was made, and therefore the chametz is actually in the possession of the Nachri over the course of Pesach. Incredible. We'll say, how do I know that we actually make a distinction? Between when you say me'achshav and you don't say me'achshav, this sanya, because we learned, nachri shehirhin paspurni eitzel yisrael, if a Gentile goes ahead and deposits, I will say, paspurni is just a, a large loaf of bread. A large loaf of bread. Person grashed paskidola ha'afuya betanur gadol. Ultimately, again, so if, a Jew, if, a not, if, a, if a nachri deposits a large loaf of bread by yisrael, Eina over. Ultimately, again, the Jew will not be in violation of chametz over Pesach. But if he says to him, ultimately, again, Rashi says, Eina over. Rashi says, Suppose this is talking about that the Gentile deposited this loaf of bread as collateral. So the Jew does not is not over only chametz on Pesach because he has this collateral. However, but if he says the Nachri essentially says that if I default on this debt, this loaf should be yours. He got sending me achshav from now. Then ultimately again over. Then the Jew will be in violation. Rather, I will say, ultimately, again, the distinction between the two cases is very simple. That halacha lamaisa, if if a Jew says me'achshav or nachri says me'achshav, retroactivity clauses work from Jew to Gentile, from Gentile to Jew. Therefore, we'll say what comes out of here is as follows: Even if you hold, which we do, as we will see, that halacha lamaisa, a nachri is not kona amashkon from a Jew. 
But if the Jew inserts a retroactivity clause in there and says, in the event of default, you acquire this collateralized chametz me'achshav as of now, then it turns out that after Pesach, when the Jew defaults on the debt, the chametz actually belonged to the Gentile from the beginning, from the time the debt was made. The chametz was not owned by a Jew over the, retroactively over the course of Pesach. And therefore, it is permitted to use it as repayment. So let's just finish to the Mishnah. Again, we'll see tomorrow. I'll show you the Shulchan Aruch in these cases. But again, you begin to see all of these incredible, profound principles. We'll see them all coalesce in the Halacha tomorrow. Let's just finish the Mishnah. We'll listen to this case. Let's say you have a store owned by Jews. The merchandise is owned by Jews as well. Right, the merchandise is owned by Jews. So what's the halacha? Say, upali nochrim, but there are Gentile workers. So upali nochrim nichnasim l'sham chamit shenim t'sham achar apesach aser banda vein sarach lomar baachila. So both say. So listen to this: If you have a store owned by Jews, merchandise owned by Jews, Gentile workers. After Pesach, you find chametz in the store. So both say. So now what's the shaila? Who does the chametz belong to? Does the chametz, is the chametz, do we assume that store merchandise? Or do we assume that maybe that was chametz brought in by the Gentile workers? To which the Gemara says, no. You assume that any chametz found in the store, ultimately, again, is the property of the store, not the Gentile workers. And therefore, because the store and merchandise is owned by a Jew, any chametz after that will be chametz shavu lava pesach and will be aser. Conversely, if you have a store owned by a Gentile and, mer- and, the, and the merchandise is owned by the Gentile, and Jewish workers, going in and out, any chametz found in the store after Pesach is permitted for consumption and certainly bahana. So we'll say, therefore, the Gemara outlining a principle, namely that halacha whenever you have a store and merchandise, any chametz found in the store is considered to be the owner or is considered to be the property of the owner of the stores, not considered to be the property of the workers. Okay, we'll say, good, we'll stop over here for today. Tomorrow we will begin with the halacha from the case of collateralized chametz. And then Merit Hashem will go through the rest. Uh, we'll, we'll begin some more exciting Mishnahites as well. Vasiyah Shakayach to everyone.